0: Stand Up Tragedy is returning. The first 2013 show will be at the Hackney Attic on the 18th of January. For more information about this show, go to www.standuptragedy.co.uk. Today's guest, Ben Targe, and also the woman who's in the background of this episode, Lou Sanders, are both gonna be performing comedy at that night. There'll also be music, true story, spoken word, fiction, all sorts of tragedy. You'll laugh till you cry. You'll cry till you laugh. Come on down. I
1: started watching people who were funny up on stage doing stand-up, but I never felt anything more than maybe joy. and. I was excited by the possibility of exploring, within comedy, uh, our other emotions and how they can be brought into that. So i will run for it later, but for now I've Cool. I've got my
0: beach gear as well. Really. You are going to be wowed. If Lou ever jumps in, we keep it, I think. as Lee's cool with that. That's cool with me. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Hello. I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Ben Target or Tarjay? Well, it's officially Tarjay. Yeah. But it could be Target as well. <laughs> There's sort of rumours out there of both floating about. Yeah, you're a rumours kind of guy, but we'll get into that in a, in a little while. What I'd
1: like to know is the percentage of how many of the rumours I've come up with, and the percentage of what other people have come up with. Yeah, that I've be- heard some that have baffled me. I'm like, wow, that is
0: actually quite cool. And I do not even come up with that. Well, I guess that's what happens when you when you start being someone who deals in rumours. That they kind of. Go away and breed and and, and It's and a snowball fight, situation. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's the type of
1: situation as well that probably doesn't end too happily. Yeah, <laughs> possibly.
0: Possibly. So, He's hoping for the best. Anyway. Well, so far, I think it's working out pretty well. Like, the first question that I ask everybody on the show is How do you know me? I met you, I think,
1: properly mm-hmm. through your
0: gig stand-up tragedy. that's right at yeah. the Leicester Square Theatre which was a ball I had a great time oh well you were such a fantastic addition to the night it really well,
1: it was a fun night wasn't it There was John Kearns and myself John's a, another wonderful comedian who I recommend I mean you know yeah John was pretty, great so well. listening genuinely go out and seek the man Yeah, his comedies out and it was a very um, eclectic
0: night it was and I was just impressed by that and uh, I think we got to know each other through that yeah I mean the weird, that night that you played that was like the, the, the night out of all of the five nights that went the most how I imagined the night to go You know, the, the audience just literally didn't know what the hell was going to happen next and I really really liked that like John and you kind of created a lot from what you did I mean I felt a bit bad because I put John on very early on in the night and so the audience had no idea Like had no idea how to deal with what he did. I think they loved him actually, Um, but uh, but because it's not a comedy-only night, you don't get the laughs in the places that you I guess you expect slightly as comedians. So I think it, it. that was a little bit off-putting for him. But I really liked the way that it started them by kind of hitting them over the head with something they had no idea what to make of. Oh, and I think that's great. Yeah, that was brilliant. And then by the end of the... And, you, you know, you, we bookend it, you bookended it because at the end of the night, you came on and, again, nobody knew what to do or not know what to make of it. But it was fantastic. I mean, you had the audience up playing volleyball and it, all sorts of things uh, oh, that right, I hadn't you know. expected to happen. Oh, yeah, I mean, And yeah, I remember, yeah, like, yeah, looking yeah, at the estate yeah. at the end of the night and all the chairs were all moved all out of the wrong place and the tape. Stage was covered in weird stuff, and it wasn't just from you as well; it was from some of the other acts as well. And I was just like, "Yes, this is what I wanted the night to be." You know, well, I'm, I was I'm great.
1: glad it worked out because I often find with creative projects, when you set yourself a goal, yeah, understandably, it takes time to get to a point where you think, "Yeah, we've reached what we were aiming for." And, yeah, and you mentioned there that it took. Five gigs
0: or so. Well, yeah, one out of the five was right. the one that perfectly worked. I don't want to say any of them weren't good. I mean, they all had a very different flavour mm. because of the nature of it being variety. Sort of, some of them were a bit more literary, some of them were a bit more music. You know, some of them were very comedy based. Whereas that night was the perfect combination of no one knew what was going to happen next. It wasn't just comedy; it was a very varied line. You
1: yeah, know? you had clowns on and musicians and, and a true,
0: couple of poets. Yeah, true storytelling as well. And really, it was really. And it was wonderful to be in the dressing room.
1: <laughs> None of us knew each other and it was all like, oh, wow, what's, what are you doing? The
0: flavour of the night was very much like a happening or something, like, that's the phrase you could use for it. but It's a bit of a, a phrase that has bad connotations for people sometimes, but the original idea of happenings I, I'm very much into.
1: Oh, I think if anything's got bad connotations, that just leaves you with the option to, to reform it into something that's great.
0: That's really true. Actually. No,
1: it's a, it's a good opportunity.
0: And we're kind of in a, a space tonight as well. It's a potential happening kind of place. There's there's a comedy night being set up in the background, so that's yeah, what people as, might. As hear. we're
1: talking, Lou Sanders, another brilliant comedian, check her out, is about to do her solo show and and it's in a room that probably looks like it belongs on a cruise ship. Yes, that's right, yeah we've, yeah, got, yeah. we've got we've got built in couches down the side, a glass chandelier. beaded chandelier, yeah. a bar at the back which has got unreasonably high shelving. I mean, <laughs> who is going to reach up there? That's like three metres high. And right at the top, there's a bucket precariously balanced, which surely the man in the kitchen in the very back could easily that knock It's off. That is an accident waiting to happen. You're this right. is slapstick comedy heaven right here.
0: I mean, I've been here for a little while and talking to Lou a bit, and it sounds like it's going to be a kind of show that slapstick happening moments may very well happen. It's going to happen. Yes, it's definitely going to be happening. It's you say you are going to skate in from the door and you were trying to work out how not to fall over all of the chairs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I will help you set up in yeah, oh, no, a little bit. Understand. No,
1: no, no, I understand.
0: Okay. <laughs> the second question that I ask everybody is, what do you do now?
1: What do I do now? Yeah. Wow. Well, this is the opportunity to generate rumours, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I essentially gig full-time. I gig almost every night and I write comedy every day and i 'm consistently working on projects that I think are remarkably fun to do and for me are ones which push me and invite me to explore things i, I don 't know much about, apart from that, I also work part time as a landscape gardener
0: a landscape gardener
1: yeah, which is something i 've been doing since I was about seventeen. It started off for family and friends and now it's sort of become something where people who like who, who live around London hear about me and like oh yeah we've got this roof space we want to turn it into something and I come around and, and we see what we can do and that's really fun as well because it's good to have something it's healthy to have something other than this obsessive driven pursuit of learning how to be funny which is what I do have it's good to get outside it's also good thinking time it's great to do things and then at the end of the day you end up and you look back and you're like i've made this you know yeah. you could, it's not it's not like office admin jobs i've had where at the end of the day you've potentially been productive or not but if you have you still like what have i actually done you know yeah, you don't sure see it you know. no absolutely i was interested to know if, if you had a day job or not i've had day jobs throughout the time I've been doing comedy which isn't long so that's probably why I've been doing it since April 2009 and I think what's interesting about this this is what I I feel from doing various parts of the circuits for three years is that there are almost two branches of it things that you and I are involved in which I would say are potentially more distinct and creative and then Things which are more traditional, and and I think if you're on the on the more boundary pushing side of things, it's it's a bit trickier to find uh, a way to get consistent cash. Yes. and So most oh, comedians yeah, sure. I know yeah. have very interesting and varied day
0: jobs, and some of them are well, not interesting, but yeah. You see,
1: I think it, you know it
0: always provides inspiration, doesn't it? I'm very much in that position of having a, yeah, a part-time day job and then just working like a maniac around that it means that you don't have very much free time though I find yeah it certainly eats into uh, friendships and relationships if you're not careful <laughs> yeah yeah me and my girlfriend have to kind of timetable time to see each other or yeah or we might stop wanting to see each other again
1: yeah yeah well I think that's probably
0: a wise decision to have <laughs> yeah I mean, I'm lucky that she's a she's a writer, so she also is in the kind of creative pursuits she gets world. It. So she, yeah, yeah, she's not. She's she doesn't not, want to get on stage. She's not understandably she, uh, bitter yeah.
1: because she's doing something radically different. Yeah. Exactly, and she and she's
0: she's pl- ploughing all of her free time into writing. You know, so it's kind of good that we're both preoccupied all the time, yeah. so we can forgive each other for that.
1: But you know, you you said, and I, I also said that we have this this sort of uh, this drive to create all the time, and I. And for a while, I was, well, actually, often I think, well, you know, this is, I can perceive this as unjustifiably selfish. But another part of me thinks, you know, if I don't do this stuff, it, doing the, it, in doing this and going through the process, I, it makes me remarkably happy. Yeah, and absolutely. I feel like if I wasn't doing it, I would, I would be searching for something to fill that. And I'm not sure what that could possibly be. That sort of like longing to create, to make things. Okay,
0: that's an interesting way of putting it. I think a lot of people's artistic drive is about, yeah, wanting to fill a space that they feel is inside them that needs to be filled and this kind of empty that they need to fill up. They do that by pushing stuff out, which is it's a really weird conundrum, isn't it? Because we're, we're creating stuff from inside us, but... Mm we're doing that because there's something that we feel like we need to fill up inside us
1: there's probably reams of research into this and it's definitely uh, potentially a spiritual side to it as well yeah no,
0: that's a really interesting point it's funny because one of the things that inspired this podcast is a podcast called WTF with Mark Maron which is about comedy he basically has conversations with comedians about comedy and why they're comedians and their careers and what it is that kind of makes them do comedy and he's very much in the kind of tradition of like comedians are almost like the last people who get allowed to be tortured artists you know he gets into all the drug addictions and terrible lives that they have that cr- create this this funny stuff mm. and uh it's almost like comedians are, are like the only people the, the audience will put up with having that because they make you laugh you know whereas if you're a writer it's pretentious if you start talking about all that stuff whereas comedians get on stage and they talk about it and people laugh at it you know it kind of connects them with the audience well it's the role of the clown
1: really to be the outsider yeah exactly to, be, some, yeah, to yeah. be something of
0: ridicule and for that reason yeah,
1: we sort of give them a bit more room to break rules I think and so. test things
0: yeah? I think so I think that's really true but, but it's funny because even though this podcast was inspired by that I think you're the first comedian that I've actually talked to I decided to apply Mark Maron's tactics to like real people if you like everyday people right. my circle of friends being what they are you know there's a lot of musicians and writers and performers of many kinds theatre makers all sorts of things that have been on it so it's not quite as everyday person as perhaps another person's friendship group would have proved I do want to talk to more comedians actually I mean I think everybody's a real person whatever whatever the pursuit they've they've taken on but I mean it's interesting to me to be in this situation now having a conversation with you I've got my heroes the way he interviews in in my head much more than I normally have about like the kind of things I can go into and ask you I mean I guess how old are you I guess it's an interesting um, well according according
1: to my Facebook account I was born in 1920.
0: Yeah, but according to your Facebook account, you're also a woman. And uh, ah, Yeah, I think amazing. So. I think someone tampered with it. <laughs> I mean, th- and that's an interesting thing about you. I mean, th- and that's definitely something I want to... So, okay, this might be an interesting point t- to come in on that. I mean, I'm going to assume that you're younger than me, maybe a little bit.
1: I don't know how old you are. Uh, I'm 31. <laughs> okay.
0: Right. And so you're on the, the younger side of the comedy circuit coming up, right? And people in that position generally at the moment are using the internet, social media and all of these things in a kind of very aggressive way generally because that's, you know, that's kind of what social media is there for in some ways. I mean, I, I do it myself. I don't do comedy, but I use social media aggressively to try and get myself out there. And you know, I'm, I'm making a podcast where so much of me is out there that anyone can find out exactly who I am very, very easily you you can't find out anything about you know your website says sometime there's going to be a website come in that will in, involve these things it's like a bullet point checklist I think that's quite funny yeah it is funny it's really funny <laughs> um, and you know your Facebook is absolutely surreal and uh, you know has uh, and you, you know, you're deliberately using the internet to create rumors I guess but you're not you're not putting yourself out there as much I mean this this conversation now a little bit putting yourself out there. But uh but yeah generally speaking you don't, don't potentially
1: do well I, I was excited by you know I'm always excited by a new challenge. I haven't really spoken to that many people. And for <laughs> me this yeah, on record as well and Yeah yeah. yeah. This was the opportunity well, kind of to see practice well this was the opportunity to see what it was about. Yeah. You know? I enjoy having fun with any any platforms, any formats Messing around with them, seeing what you can and can't do with them, and sure. a lot of what's out there at the moment was very much roped into and part of the first show I did in Edinburgh, yeah, called Discover Bentage, which was I guess about. Who is this guy? What is this guy? Come and find out. And I thought it would be funny to have more than one angle on that. You know, yeah. when, wherever people look, the flavour of that show exists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so as I evolve, you know, things will emerge. Yeah. We hope. And, <laughs> and I'm excited to see where they go as well. A lot
0: of comedians are about, eventually, as the, by the end of their careers, it's about presenting truth on stage, I would say. I lot of my favourite comedians.
1: For Lou Sanders, who is about presenting tea lights on tea tables? Tea lights on tables.
0: Well, I think there is there, there are there are obviously lots of different disciplines in comedy and I mean I love what you do, you know, and what you do is a is, it may eventually evolve into some kind of truth telling, but it at the moment it's very much well, to say you're a prop comedian is to give the wrong impression, I think. But there is definitely an element of you being surreal using things you found
1: (laughs) yeah I think there is definitely a lot of objects in what I do I find objects I make them to express humor (laughs) as I see it and and I create I like I aim to create more than just a show you know something that is from the offset An experience something that's you know, different to the audience I think, you know, I think it takes a long time for comedians to learn how to be funny and it takes a long time to figure out what you want to say and and also (laughs) I, I think that's possibly the danger of the internet is that you can be overexposed very quickly before you've found what you want to say and I think if that happens to you that it might just Put you back a bit for a while. That's not necessarily bad. But what I'm saying is that I really want to find out why I'm funny and translate that as well as I can for other people to enjoy and find out what the important things I want to say are. But I'm a young man, (laughs) haven't lived that much, and I think. The better comedians are usually a bit older because they've just lived I, so much yeah, more ablaze. And also, they've got the technique and the skill and the
0: craft honed. Is, that a hundred, is it 100 hours or something? Or 1,000 hours or something? Oh, some, some theory. 10,000 yeah. hours yeah, to yeah, be yeah. a master
1: craftsman. Lou, how many hours have you done out of the 10,000? Not enough. Not <laughs> enough? Too
0: many.
1: I, I wonder how many I've
0: done. How many do you
1: think you've done? I don't know,
0: I think I'm getting on to, the thing is I work in too many different mm-hmm. mediums. That so I, you're a so I'm sort of Yeah, I, I sort of, I, I, do an, I get good at one and then I move on to another and then I'm right back to square one. <laughs> so I think in podcasting terms, I'm probably getting on to the right amount of hours to be quite good. In music terms, I'm doing all right, but but as a compare, I've yeah, got a lot musician, more time to I, do. You're
1: a good musician, aren't you? That's where you play, oh, i heard some of your songs. Oh, that's good, yeah, yeah, of course you
0: did. Actually, it's, it's funny, I think the first time I met you, this, and this might give people an idea slightly about the kind of comedy you do, because the first time I met you, I went to a night run by James Ross, who does mm. Fat Kitten. Well, I think they, Fat Kitten is, is finishing soon, and they're not going to carry on, but I went to one of his nights because you were performing, and I'd been told by a friend of mine who saw you at the Invisible Dot uh, how amazing your, your kind of live show was. So I was like, right, I'm, I've got to see Ben... Tajay and so I went and saw it and you kind of finished your set by crowd surfing over a quite a small crowd so that the crowd had to kind of run to the end of you to kind of catch you you wanted to get all the way to the bar it was a moment where they were going to kind of drop you and I don't like to get involved like I was there I guess in my mind I was I was there sort of scoping out like almost like I was for, for one night only, I'm in the industry. So I was like, I wanted to watch and be out of the, not be involved, but I kind of had to come forward and grab you because otherwise you would have fallen on the floor. And so I did, and I sort of was like, oh, fucking hell. And, uh, Caught you and pulled you to the end and then was very apologetic afterwards for swearing and nearly dropping you. But that totally won me over. The way you, you were like, no, I like it. I like <laughs> it when weird things like that happen. I, like, I thought it was funny when you swore. That's yeah, okay. well, a big journey, I isn't it? That. Yeah.
1: And if we can't enjoy it, then there's kind of no point in attempting. Yeah. But certainly there are, going to, there are parts that I've found hard about it. Yeah. i gotta, mean
0: you 've got to push yourself out there a little bit fit. but it's you 're pushing yourself out there but you 're also pushing the audience quite a lot like you 're quite confrontational in your in your surrealness like it 's kind of confrontational surreal humor which that 's one of the things I like about it the most is that it really does engage with the audience. you know you stand there and look at us and we have to react to you i mean how did you come by that Well, I, mean,
1: I think there are more than There's such a range of emotions we can feel. And I didn't really grow up watching comedy or knowing much about stand-up, but as soon as I felt compelled to perform and decided that I wanted to do comedy, I started watching people who were funny up on stage doing stand-up, but I never felt anything more than maybe joy. And I was excited by the possibility of exploring within comedy uh, our other emotions and how they can be brought into that.
0: That's the most interesting area of comedy for me. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to laugh. I like laughter, don't get me wrong, but what really... Works for me is when I feel sadness as well as the laughter, or anger as well as the laughter, or you know the the stuff that I gravitate towards tends to be a bit twisted, yeah, or really true. Like I either go for really twisted, weird, surreal things, or really true, open, honest things. You know.
1: Yeah. Well, I think there's just so much you can do, and there's so much that's been done in the name of performing. When I was 15, a friend took me. To see an Argentinian dance piece, a dance company that had put on a a piece in the roundhouse called De la Guarda. And up until that stage, you know, I had been fortunate enough to have parents who were very proactive in uh, introducing me to theatre and old cinema and musicals. So I had been exposed to quite a lot of different types of performance. But, you know, this blew my mind, this piece. It was in the roundhouse, everyone was standing up in the middle, it was pitch black, and it was, I can't, it was, you know, this, there was stuff happening in there that was just mind-boggled for about a week afterwards. It just completely took everything I knew and turned it on its head, And, and that had a, you know, really profound effect on me, and it made me think, well, if you're doing a show... You can aim to make it whatever you want it to be, and I think the the tough part for comedians is your brief is to make people laugh. Yeah. that's That's kind of what comedy is, about making people laugh. And so if you don't get that reaction of laughter when you're attempting to get it, it hurts, and... Because it hurts, it it, it makes you afraid to attempt things that are perhaps different or, or audacious. But actually, I found that trying to do those things and failing is just as fun and exhilarating as going on stage with some tightly written or honed pieces that do make a whole room of people laugh. Yeah, so, I mean it's a real balance, oh. and you've what? got to pick and choose yeah. when to do those things. Absolutely, you know? if you're performing in front of 16,000 people, you know, do do. I you are I've certainly found like don't go out there and just try all your new stuff because yeah, do you, the stuff you, <laughs> you make them laugh. Come off a bit of a cropper, but also that I think that's quite funny as well. Yeah, someone choosing to fail. That's well, that's that's (laughs) definitely
0: that's definitely very funny, but it's not it's not it's not. The audience
1: probably won't be laughing. They're
0: the kind of people who are the heroes of of popular comedians, but not known by the public. Do you know what I mean? They may be the the people who influence, but they're not necessarily ever going to be household names. The people who deliberately fail.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it depends what you want out of it. Absolutely. That's what do you want out point. of comedy? Riches?
0: <laughs> She's nodding. I want to be
1: able to buy a house. She wants a house. No, I think shelter's one of, you know, the four most important things, isn't it?
0: I sold my house for comedy. Really? Wow. <laughs> the least thing can do is give them back. Yeah. But if somebody Good. said to you, you would never make enough money from comedy, would you still do it? I do I don't know. I don't know what else
1: to do. I think you would. What else can I do though? You're a natural. Know. I don't know. I might do watercolours. Oh, that's a good call. <laughs> well, there's, yeah. there's no money they're, in watercolours. They're, they're difficult as well, it's but they're beautiful. Watercolors. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is an interesting thing, this money thing. I mean, I think the, the most joy I get from creating stuff is like this podcast is free, you know, Santa Tragedy made me a loss, but like. I do get frustrated that I don't get paid to, to do creative things. Actually, I am starting to get paid to do creative stuff, so I will, will, have, will not be able to say that for very much longer,
1: hopefully. But, you know, it depends how, how you look at it. Some people might look at it as these creative types of being self-indulgent. And yeah, just, people do think that a lot. Know. But I would say what can come out of it is the type of thing that have,
0: you know, spurs on evolution. I think that's true and also you know people like being entertained so they would be disappointed if everybody that does all of the things that entertain them gave it up people who do if you like proper jobs in inverted commas do sort of say well you're doing something you enjoy so you shouldn't expect to get paid for it but it's like well I can only do the thing that I enjoy (laughs) up to a certain point and then you know money does become an issue you do actually have to have to worry about that stuff to get get by. I mean, I I don't know. I heard a thing about flamenco um, musicians on another podcast, and uh, so somebody else's story. But they were saying that there were this very famous flamenco family in Spain, and they all were butchers. That was their day job. They were all butchers. And somebody said to them, "Well, why don't you? Why why aren't you making money from that? You know, you've got this brilliant flamenco craft. Why aren't you? Why are you still butchers?" And they were like, "We respect flamenco too much to charge money for it." that's kind of a profound thing. It kind of made me sort of stop and think, you know, that maybe people do think it's quite an entitled attitude to say, well, I've got friends who are who definitely say this, like, why are you expecting me to pay money for a CD that you've made? Why don't you just give it to me? And you're like, you know, obviously I want to share it with you, but I kind of put lots of hours into it, and I kind of want some money back from that, but... You know, and then you end up waiting a year and then they don't pay in the money and then you give them the CD anyway. I make a podcast about conversations. And so that should suggest to you that I love conversations. And I love real people's conversations, everyday people's conversations about their lives and their thoughts. The conversations that never get heard. Some of those conversations are getting heard though at the moment. There's this new project that I'd like to tell you about that my friend Jesse Levine from In The Dark is part of called The Listening Project. It's an ambitious new partnership between BBC Radio 4, BBC Local and National Radio Stations and the British Library. They are asking people up and down the country to share an intimate conversation with a close friend or relative to help build up a unique picture of our lives today. Some of these conversations will be broadcast across BBC Radio and archived by the British Library, preserving them for future generations. BBC Radio producers have been gathering conversations from across the UK, covering everything from living with Alzheimer's to falling in love in the front seat of a Reliant Robin. And now they'd like you to record and share your own conversations. Perhaps you know someone with a fantastic story that you'd love them to share with the world. There may be something that you've always wanted to discuss with someone close to you or maybe you just like to celebrate happy moments in your life or reflect on memories of a dearly departed friend. What you talk about is completely up to you. This project is about creating space for you and a loved one to have the conversation you always meant to have. By taking part, you'll also have the chance to be a part of history. You can choose to submit your conversation to the British Library who may add it to their permanent audio archive. Don't worry if you've never recorded anything before. They've written a simple step-by-step guide on their website. All you need is a computer, a laptop, camera, or phone with a microphone. And believe me, if I can record a conversation, you can record a conversation. Find out more about The Listening Project by typing the listening project into Google or by going to bbc.co.uk slash radio four slash features slash the hyphen listening hyphen project and it will take you through how to record your conversations I really think recording conversations is a valuable thing it's valuable for you and it's valuable for the people who listen so why not be a part of this really excellent project? What are you
1: a fruit. A a fruit. A wow. do you have? I'm not really a fruit Foodie?
0: Is a got it? Wow.
1: want one like? That sounds fun. What's that? A strawberry wow. beer. Or a wow. I should have
0: something like that sometime. No, I'm okay. I'm, oh, I'm radical. I'm, I'm usually drinking. I don't normally drink, so I'm I'm I'm. I'm alright is this podcast going to be edited yeah. <laughs> it will be edited right. <laughs> what, uh, just wondering if the podcast is going to be edited yeah it'll be edited we oh, yeah. what we're going to select. do
1: is so edit yeah, out everything, do, do everything well. I've said it'll just yeah. be <laughs> you yeah. it'll, it'll
0: just be you asking about drinks that's going to be the podcast brilliant wow would you say <laughs> well, that would be amazing
1: Ooh. Ooh. I tend to say surprise me okay but oh, no. it's very kind of no no it's cool
0: you you How are we doing? We're doing well. We're kind of halfway through, and it's interesting that your attitude to your drinks is a bit like your attitude to comedy. Uh, the punk rock, <laughs> yeah. Truly, beer is punk rock. It's, it's interesting, though. I was going to say. I mean, you've got quite a, a yeah. You, so yeah. There are so many things that you've said that I want to come back to that I'm just trying to organize them in the head of which one to go with. It is a lucky thing that I can edit this podcast. Um, so, like, the. Introduce yourself to Dave. Oh, yeah, sorry. Oh, this is a, a gentleman. Hello. Hello, I'm hello, James. James, I'm Hi. Dave. Hi, Dave. Nice right. to meet you. James <laughs> is taking
1: a new show. I am, yes. Aha! We've invited him in, the into this conversation. Thank you very much. I didn't want to get involved. Why oh, you just me. sitting in the corner? No,
0: oh, like yeah. you're you're podcasting. Yeah, but you, I mean, it doesn't go live. And uh, yeah, I like I, 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 if there are people in a room, they should get involved I'm in the conversation. Who interrupted you there, Dave? By I was going to sing James. Well, one himself. one thing I was going to say is, I think you've got a very kind of canny a- attitude to not not having your material out there. I mean, that's one of the things when you did my show you did the show but you are like I want to try out new material and I don't want that to go out in stand-up treasure. and I totally respected that and understood it and, and that's something that I you know have heard a lot of comedians say that that now everyone's got a phone in the audience and everyone can like kind of tape you surreptitiously and then it goes out online and then that becomes something that you hadn't quite prepared and that sort of happens to a lot of young comedians now is that they kind of get known for a controversial statement that gets taken out of context and then becomes something that defines them and actually I think sometimes if you heard that in the context, you wouldn't have found it as controversial as it sounds out of context. But secondly, they're trying out new material. Mm. We don't always say the right thing straight away. You, know, you have to have an element of making mistakes. And yeah, as a yeah. writer, as a musician, I get to do that.
1: It's really important. But that's, you know, that's what it's about, yeah. making lots of mistakes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and trying to learn from them. But you know that you're aware that your material could be misused. I mean, yeah, I well, How did you? I mean, how did that come about? How did you work that? out?
1: First of all, I think it takes most people a long time to perfect a piece or get it to the stage where they're where it's truly good. And as soon as you expose yourself, and it's a it's a well documented thing. I think as Eddie Izzard has spoken about this in the past, and Steve Martin. As soon as you give that material up to a TV, it's TV, it can't necessarily
0: be used again, and that's that yeah. work, you know, gone. It's yeah. Done. And that, gets, and it's that gets set in people's mind of what you do, yeah.
1: Well, I think also, you know, my, my intention is to get good, and I know that I'm going to have to work for years to get good. this is such a refreshing attitude during that time I don't want to be exposed so people think I'm shit yeah but but so many of us start with the think I'm bad yeah well no you can (laughs) swear it's it's fine
0: but when when so many of us start thinking we're brilliant Right, and then we that's, have to learn. Bravado, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we start thinking we're brilliant, then you have that to learn the non-stage. Yeah, yeah. So, you, so I, 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 started off thinking I was brilliant, then I realised I wasn't. Now I'm getting to the point where I'm getting close to maybe getting myself to a point where I can think I'm brilliant justifiably for a little while. But you, you're coming at it from the point of view of craftsmanship, and that's quite a rare thing in, in the arts world. Maybe everyone's thinking it, but they're covering it with bravado. But you're just saying it. I don't know. But
1: yeah, I, I, I do see it as a craft.
0: Yeah, no. I, I, I do think of myself as an
1: apprentice, which may sound hideously, uh, you know, uh, what's the word? Ghost. <laughs> Ghost. Good word. I like it. Yeah.
0: So if you're an apprentice, yeah, who, yeah. Who, who are the masters? I would
1: say people who are, are now, in my eyes, that I've seen on the comedy circuit, uh, Stuart Lee, I think, is a master right now. Yeah, sure. I think he's hit his stride. He's my right, yeah He's my favourite comedian working in, south, out, in this country. Other people who I think Dimitri Martin is getting pretty good. <laughs> yeah, he's great anyway. But I, I still think he's got the potential to produce yet more mind-blowing stuff. Kim Noble's done some really interesting stuff. I think if he has the capacity to keep doing, he will become someone who's like Calvend, just groundbreaking, remembered. Yeah. You know, a legend amongst comics, and hopefully, as Lou stated, can have a house off the back of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, but that's
0: the goal, isn't it? That get is a the bit goal. Of shelter. That's all. That, that's, I think Because
1: <laughs> we're not going to be doing this when we're 70. I mean, that would be cool for all of us to be George Carlin, but I don't know if it's going to happen.
0: I don't know, you might be. If you, if, you, if you get to the point where you get a house, then you're more likely to be doing it when you're 70. I mean, that's about where I'm at. Like, I'm like, I don't want to be a millionaire from this or anything like that I just want to have enough to have a house and have the basics from this
1: I'll tell you who else I think is, is getting, to, is getting to some master craftsman level I think Milton Jones I was watching <laughs> him and I was just like this guy has yeah. obviously had such a long journey to get here but it's, he's just nailed it yeah. it's Tony, Tony Laws yeah he, I think he's I think this the last couple of shows have really like propelled him up and it's wonderful to watch people I mean you see people come off the open mic circuit and then you see people you know become circuit comedians yeah. or paid comics or whatever and then there's so many levels you can go
0: up the older comedians get the kind of the more they the more enjoyable I tend to find them I think you're right with that as well
1: yeah so you didn't I think because they're, they're more in a way, in a strange way they're more believable yeah yeah I feel kind of trite standing on stage expecting people to give a shit about what I'm doing at my age but maybe in 10, 15 years I'll be like, actually, yeah. You know and do you I get I that kind of act?
0: Say. Do you find that older comedians also think, who the hell is this guy getting up on stage? No, I haven't. What life, <laughs> you know, do, do <laughs> maybe, you find any of that? Maybe, I haven't met that much negativity. Well, it that's usually,
1: cool. It usually comes from, like, lower down on the circuit when, when we're all... Uh, you know, competitive naturally, and 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 jealous of anyone's success. And it takes a while before you're like, actually, you know what? This isn't. This isn't. We're not running against each other. This is kind of like an individual journey, and it takes a while to get there. We've got our own things to say. Uh, to yes, yeah, yeah, sure. Jump Just because all the older comics have been there, basically, they've been the open micers. They've been the people in the lower echelons,
0: and you say are all competitive, I and mean, they're the other ones that have gone through. So that's why Edinburgh is is that everyone's kind of in the same boat no matter where they are in their career. They're all, it equalises it, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. Even if you're someone that's selling out, I don't know, the Underbelly every night or whatever, 10
1: years ago you were in Ben's position or whatever. You, you've, you've
0: kind of been through all those stages. So it kind of keeps you level. In my experience, I'm not a comedian, in my experience of people that I met, and, you know, yeah. it seems that everyone's kind of got their fit in the ground because they've been through that. And if they have got to a level where they 're successful, can buy a house whatever, <laughs> then you know they, they 've gone through that so they, and it, it's, well, it's still like them on. it kind of fits with this crafts person right. thing really yeah. they 're the, the people, and so they look back to the, to the new apprentices and help them up i mean i hope that 's the way it works that 's the way it ideally would work. I think sometimes with art though you, you have massive egos that mean that you 're threatened even by people who you 've been there at their level, you can still sometimes. Get threatened by that. I hope that I won't be like, like that. that. No. I don't think anybody in this room is going to be like that. So all yeah. right. Slap us if we become like that. You said you didn't really watch much comedy growing up, and you know you you, you described being inspired by that kind of theatre piece.
1: I'm not sure. I don't. I don't really want to say. I don't uh, want to say. You don't want to define it, it. Yeah. What it, what, what
0: it is? But why well, did I'm, you decide comedy to be the, the palette. Yeah, the thing that you were going to make this kind of strange feelings arise in the audience? Why did you decide um, in comedy to do? I,
1: I grew up in Holland. The comedy I did watch, my parents introduced me in. Lauren Hardy and Charlie Chaplin and Fish Called Wonders, some Like It Hot, Mel Brooks stuff. So usually things which involved heightening and going out of control and getting really stupid. I didn't watch stand-up because I didn't come to Britain for a while. And then when I came here, actually the first gig I watched was in Queen Mary University and it was Michael McIntyre closing, <laughs> Reginald D. Hunter opening, oh, right. this is 2004 maybe, that summer I went up to the Edinburgh Festival just because I heard about this massive arts festival and I think they both had shows which were sold out and I was like, wow these guys are like living the dream. <laughs> <laughs> and they've done well for themselves. I always knew I wanted to create stuff and I studied design, I used to work in graphic design and various other thing p- p- pursuits. Yeah. And I got frustrated by them because there are often quite a lot of constraints placed on you as the creator by the clients or whatever. There are still lots of constraints in comedy. But as soon as I saw my friends doing sketch comedy and stand-up, I was amazed at the little amount of time between the idea you have and getting it in front of the audience yeah whereas you know if you're designing a building you get commissioned to design a building and then three years later the thing might exist yeah it's like, sure that is you know that for me I just didn't have the patience for it and and comedy is like you're you, even at the gig we're about to go on stage, you'll see something, you'll be like, that's coming with me. that's going on. And the night that you
0: perform at Stand Up Tragedy, I think you grab stuff from the dressing room that you hadn't yeah, well, well, to use. that was something it's I really to
1: do. The magic of live comedy is, it is about the present, it's about what's happening right in, the moment. In the moment, in the moment, yeah. In the moment, yeah. the that's audience the... and the comic connect best, I think, not just when they hear good jokes, but
0: actually when something is improvised but that's the live experience completely in general I mean I studied theatre and um, theatre is my background and my interest I guess but also live music as well and these podcasts in a way are are a way of capturing that in the moment sensation I may very well edit a lot of ums and ahs out of this conversation I'm less likely to edit out conversations about what drinks people want because that actually gives the listener a sense that they're in a moment with us in this conversation and that kind of creates that in the moment Things in a way, it's what I aspire to, to making my life like as well as what my art is like. Like, I find too much I don't live in the moment, I'm thinking about the future or the past, and I'm not actually present in I the moment. You
1: know, balance is important, it's certainly something I think I'm guilty of. It's fluctuating in extremes, okay, rather than exploring grey areas. But you know, as I get older, that's changing slowly. Back to when I first saw comedy and all that, I have an interest in other thi- in other creative pursuits. Yeah. And I find that very handy to inspire my comedy. I don't yeah. just look at other guys and say, oh, well, I love what he's doing. I'm going to try and be like him or do it like that. In fact, my goal is to try and find myself in a place where I feel like I'm doing comedy that is uh, has not necessarily been seen before. It's not been done before. I mean, that sounds almost impossible because you can say that nothing is original, everything is yep. derivative, everything's been done before but in, a, in a, you know I, I think because each one of us is different as people if we all tell the same joke it
0: will all be slightly different anyway. Yeah that's so true, I, I think that about writing, is. I say that a lot like if you gave five people the same plot to write a story it would be a completely different story that each one of them would write. And I think that's, that's, a, that's one of the most valuable things about about writing or about creating things yeah. is that you're bringing your own personal experience to it for sure. Let me just check with Lou. Lou, when do we need to sort of... Um, yeah, yeah, when do we need to start? Uh, well, no, it's fine. Yeah, because <laughs> I need to tell you a few things. Oh, no, yeah, we're not starting to 8 minutes at first. So, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, we can go for about another 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. Cool. Wants to listen to this shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I might use that as my uh, my cold opening. Um, so you grew up in Holland, and you had parents that w- were exposing you to art for your childhood, which is a valuable thing, I guess, for an artist.
1: Yeah, my mother grew up in a very interesting household. I suppose my I don't know what the right word is—interpretation of her past is that she grew up in a family of socialist architects (laughs) who were very proactive at reshaping living standards and ways people live in communities in Britain after the Second World War. So she had a very interesting upbringing. And my father is... He's he's this sort of creative lunatic, <laughs> consistently inventing things. I mean, my mother is remarkably creative as well. So, you know, we were encouraged from a young age to, when it was raining, to be drawing, to be building stuff from what we found in the bin, <laughs> uh, to be... Out in the field, I grew up on a farm out in the field, finding out what frog spawn was and and pressing flowers and, and climbing trees and building stuff and 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 that I am fully aware is is a, is a childhood that I was you know very'm very blessed to have had that experience and very yeah. grateful for it as well and certainly it 's something that I wish to bring into my shows this sort of To enjoy things that are different as a community.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because if you grew up on a farm and in this kind of very open, creative space, now you're in a city in a very kind of closed industry. You see what I mean? Like it's a very hard, yeah, it's kind of a very big contrast.
1: I mean, I look at the other comedians who I would say work in. So maybe contemporaries who currently work in a similar ballpark, people like uh, Pat Cahill and John Kearns we mentioned earlier, and Nick's son and Matthew Heighton, and Adam Lato. Nick's
0: son I saw in Edinburgh this year, I thought he was yeah, really good. I
1: think Nick is probably the most important comedian to me that I've seen out there. Yeah, I think he's I great. Think I'm going to try and get Scott him for a Son of Tragedy in so future. Much so <laughs> so many important things to say. He says them in a very, they're very intelligent expressions but they're very well crafted for people to understand and there's so much the architecture and thoughts and construction in the show and, yeah. people, and, yeah, and it most, seems so loose, yeah, exactly. it's well, so, that, it's that's so clever. That's the amazing thing is he comes across as this kind of loose cannonball but yeah, that's what's remarkable It's it's so well
0: crafted well that was one of the things I was so impressed about with him I mean there's a lot that gets talked about at the moment culturally speaking about rape jokes and he told a joke about that area of of human interaction which was pitch like so perfectly on the side of the victim rather like the, the problem with a rape joke when they're made badly is that they are horrifically yes. commending the act of rape right. Whereas his 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 joke was about i don't know i don't know about if it's fair to 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 go into his bit too much but it was i mean it was basically from the point of view of if you're having sex with somebody like them revealing that they've been abused in the past at that moment and it was like the kind of it was such a, a difficult area to be going into on stage I couldn't really believe that he was going into but then it was so kind of perfectly observed and intelligently done that you kind of felt for everybody in that situation and it was so humanly de- delivered that I just thought that that's craft, that's consideration, that's skill, and that's what you so rarely get when people decide to go for controversial mm. subjects and then they don't actually think it through. You know, if you're going to use that subject, you have to think it through. Yeah. I think okay. all, all credit to Nick. He works
1: extraordinarily hard at it, and he has been doing it and has done so and has done you know year upon year. Yeah. Mm. Very interesting hours
0: yeah, hour shows which is quite a difficult feat I think to pull up I mean but that was one of those moments I definitely thought if there was somebody in the crowd with a phone and they recorded like one little element of what he was doing in that that bit that then and they put that on the internet he would be completely misrepresented you know those kind of moments are really reminding me of this thing that you're very cognizant of that people kind of need to be able to have the space to develop their acts and to actually kind of communicate with an audience rather than this soundbite culture that we sometimes get now
1: yeah I think that's what I've found difficult in Edinburgh over the last year was that because a certain part of a certain part of the comedy industry was interested in what I was doing It was difficult to kind of get away and and start messing around again, you know? And I think it's important for acts to have that freedom, certainly up in Edinburgh, there's so much industry and press looking to discover people that it's it's difficult, I think, for people to feel relaxed enough to just mess around and find out, continue exploring why they're funny. Yeah.
0: Did you come to the
1: UK to study? Yeah, I did came to the UK to study. I went to a university in the Midlands, Leicestershire. I didn't particularly enjoy what I was studying and I didn't particularly enjoy where I was studying it and so I started to work in casual labour at the weekends and come down to London and go up to Manchester and Glasgow and Edinburgh and just see bits of Britain and, and then I decided after university to to leave the UK and I went to live in Paris because I got a job as an English language teacher. And after that I felt compelled to come back to the UK because I thought I wanted to become a a doctor. A doctor? Yeah. So I applied to med school and that summer I did my, I think they're called lectorials. You go to hospital, you spend a couple of weeks there observing operations. I did that and I was pretty certain that that's what I wanted to do and I was pretty set upon doing that and then that summer, I think it was 2008, I went up to the Edinburgh Fringe again, I think it was my second time, and I saw uh, Joe Parham, who was, who was a friend and was in the Oxford Review at the time, and Mark Cooper Jones, who was a, a friend I grew up with in Holland, who uh, He was actually my brother's friend. I didn't really know him so well. But uh, he was in a sketch group called Wit Tank. And it was then I thought, wow, you guys are doing something pretty special. And I just decided, right, I can leave, study. I don't have to study now. I've got to explore this. Let's find out where this goes. If your
0: career as a stand-up comedian doesn't work out, you're going to become a doctor again?
1: I don't know. I I don't think so. I'm not sure I have the academic stamina for it. (laughs) I think... I would probably like to become a teacher. Okay. I'd like, or a carer. I'd like to do something which isn't so self-indulgent. Yeah. I'd like, I would like to do something which is a bit more about other people and not me just uh, no, sort of that. psycho yeah. analysing my
0: ego on stage. Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. <laughs> I feel that way myself quite often. Were you in an English family in Holland, or are you Dutch? Uh, I'm real
1: mongrel. <laughs> <laughs> On my dad's side of the family, they've just come from everywhere and travelled everywhere. You know, as far back as I can read, okay. Australian, Irish, Scottish. On my mum's side, my grandfather came from Stockton upon Tees, and my grandmother grew up in Sheffield to a Scottish mother. Right. They were, I guess, Northerners who came down to
0: London. Your accent suggests. Uh, that you people might if they heard your accent would say you were posh I guess
1: right yeah yeah I've I've heard that I think what was interesting about coming to England was suddenly being told by people that because of how I dressed and how I sounded yeah that I was a certain type of thing that there were already these boxes that existed into which everybody can be fitted and it's something that still angers me And I think it's why I'm often reticent to give out too much information because I'd rather people get to know me and like me or dislike me on what I say and how I behave rather than whether I'm wearing whatever kind of shoes or whether I'm hanging out in whatever kind of bars or whatever, you know? I try and stick to that with all people. I try and not say, well, because you're dressed that way, I'm going to treat you like this. Absolutely but I think it's quite hard to I mean if you've obviously grown up in a culture where that
0: exists it's not easy we're brainwashed with the class system from the beginning and it is significant as well the thing is that the the lack of the the differentials in wealth is significant right the way that people speak is an indicator of that but it is not it is not the only indicator. One of the things i found in this show is, you know, talking to lots of different people from mm. lots of parts of the classes. Uh, a guy called Radcliffe Royds, who I've ha- booked on Stand Up Tragedy as well, He, you know, he started in a public school and he ended up in a skip in Soho as a homeless person. Wow. And then he came back from there. Like, what class is he? Mm. You know, you hear him in a bar, he, you, you would say he's posh, but he's, you know, he's lived a harder life than a lot of people who would be dismissing him because of his voice you know it's a it's a funny it's a funny thing
1: you know but, i guess having grown up abroad maybe because i i i was automatically usually the outsider and i think my brother feels this way as well i was born in singapore and spent time in indonesia before going to school in Holland. Okay where uh, you know I went to Dutch school and was fluent in Dutch sadly have lost it I was different to the majority of the people around me in a more significant way than just differences between individuals and I think it's probably very naive of me and a lot uh, easier for me and unfairly so to come to England and then be like well you guys shouldn't be judging each other based on your history <laughs> just take people for what they are <laughs> But you know what? I think the class system is interesting in Britain because when you read about it and when you when you look back on time it seems so much more you know, a hundred years ago, before the First World War, it, it definitely seems far more regimented. rigidly implemented. But now it's it's the waters are so muddied, it's it's not just about like where which part of town you grew up in or how you sound, it's like how much money you have well, that's and, true. and what your aspirations are but more importantly than that I think it's how you think You know what you think is important defines where you maybe
0: are I know what you're saying and you're right I don't know if I'm intelligent enough to well, talk about this well, stuff, it, well, really. yeah. I, mean, I I think you are I think anyone is but, but I think the, the weird thing about the class system is we still do have a government that is made up of people who went to certain schools and certain universities and have a certain accent so it it's, yeah. still is relevant so how old are you? I'm 48. <laughs> Still just a young man. Just thought I would try Still that. A young man. That sort of tactic, like the Columbo-style interview. Columbo's amazing. He What was he amazing oh, is so he, good. He,
1: he gets like, he's, he comes across as more scatty as the series go on, but actually he's kind of like even sharper. Yeah, he gets sharper. <laughs> sharper.
0: Well, Peter Falk is such a brilliant performer, guy that plays him, I love it. He Have wrote you? it, right? I, I don't know if he wrote it. I don't did, think did so. He, he no? just had a really big James kind of. He disagree. put the. No, I don't think he wrote it. But um, he brought it to life. He did definitely bring it to life, and, mm. and he's he's great generally. The last thing I ask people is, do you have anything you want to plug? Which confuses people who have no business in show business and uh, embarrasses people in show business. So let's see what you say.
1: <laughs> I would like you to take a look at. Plebtalks.com. It's the world's only comedy think tank. Comedians tackling titanic topics, lectures done by morons. It's run by Danberg, who is a fantastic gentleman, and myself. And we do sporadic gigs. We tour the country and we do them in London. And we also have videos online they're really fun very anarchic and and quite different to most comedy nights I've seen and then with my own things coming up I'll be redoing my uh, solo show my first solo show in London in 2013 early 2013
0: it's called Discover Ventage and look out for it well I'll put this out I think yeah. you know the week before, if that's because I, I tend to, when people plug, I tend to then use that to help me schedule where they come.
1: Colombo, according to James, <laughs> according to Wikipedia, <laughs> via Wikipedia, was created by William Link and Richard Levinson. Yeah, I didn't find no, him I didn't think you wrote him. Uh, I also uh, take, a at, it. take a look at... He authored Take a look at at Ben Target at Ben Target on... Pronounce Target. At Ben Target spelt Target on Twitter. Ah, yes, that's right. So,
0: and, at, and the website BenTarget.com Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Well, you should definitely check out all of those things. And the last thing that I ask people to do is to say goodbye to the audience.
1: Goodbye, audience. Bye. We love you.
0: (laughs) You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook. It's Getting Better Acquainted. Have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website, www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk. You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. And on the Stitcher Smart Radio app, you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the App Store. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, I hope I wasn't interloping too much. No, I'm no, sure no, they worry about it. I love it. I think it's, like, I I like think it's it. lovely. That's like uh, a real, yeah, a real I, maybe
0: an energy. I, 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 will, I enjoyed that. that about it. Everybody that I do has a different flavour because they're a right, different right. person. And this is the world that Ben lives in. It's yeah, really nice to, to have ship. in that situation. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, bullshit, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> this bullshit is where um, I, When you've edited it, before you
1: post it, would you mind sending it over so I can listen? Yeah. And if there's anything I think, right, that is...
0: I sound, oh. like a, I sound like an
1: utter prick. You're, you're, yeah, okay. I, I sound like that. a pretentious man. I am. It is, it is much
0: If you enjoy listening to Getting Better Acquainted, that's great. I'm really grateful to you for joining me on this journey through conversation. I make this show for free, and that's how I want this show to be, a free show. But I do want more people to hear the conversation so if you could share this with people that you know that would be great and also if you could leave some iTunes feedback on iTunes telling people that you like the show and telling them what it is and what it's about that would also be really great because that helps to push me up the iTunes charts and all that sort of thing it increases the amount of people who might hear it. Also I've got the 100th episode of Getting Better Acquainted coming up next year, which is really exciting. In fact, I think we've probably had more than 100 episodes already, because some of the episodes I don't number, they might have been two-parters, they might have been Getting Better Acquainted extras. I wanted to do something to mark the occasion of it being the 100th episode, and i finally come up with a plan. So... First of all, after episode 99, there'll be a week of Getting Better Acquainted episodes going From Monday to Friday, and they're going to be five live conversations I recorded at the Invisible Picture Palace, which is a glass house in Wapping, run by In the Dark Radio. I did five really great conversations there in November in front of a live audience. So I'm going to put them in the run-up to the hundredth episode. They won't be counted as numbers though, because that's getting better acquainted live and new strand. So. What will the 100th episode be? Well, for the 100th episode, I'm going to throw a party inviting a lot of people who've been on Getting Better Acquainted, and I'm going to play them some clips, and we're going to talk about the show. I'm also going to try and get people who've been on who can't make it to send in some sound clips, and I'm going to read out the email correspondence which people have sent in to me, and there have been a few, and I'm really pleased that people are reaching out to me in this way and this is going to be my chance to reach back and to acknowledge that communication so if you have something you'd like to say about getting better acquainted that you'd like to tell me please send me an email and i'll read it out as part of the 100th episode but also i'd really like to hear from listeners about what your favorite episodes are or any moments specific moments would be even better of episodes that you've really enjoyed because that will help me wade through 100 episodes of getting better acquainted